Dude, (laughs) (laughs) welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin. This is Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about the big Lebowski. But sometimes there's a man, and I'm talking about the dude here. Sometimes there's a man, well, he's the man for his time and place. He fits right in there. And that's the dude in Los Angeles. This is a crime comedy. Directed by the Coen brothers. The cast includes the dude, James P. Sullivan, Mr. Pink, Julianne Less, and Capote. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon Video. All right, Joey, go ahead and give us that synopsis. In this classic Shakespearean tale, A man journeys to the ends of his world to discover the secrets of life, death, and love. That is our spot-on, very accurate synopsis of The Big Lebowski. Let's get right into it with our pros. We'll start with our pros. Joey, what did you like about The Big Lebowski? I like that the movie is totally bonkers. The the plot is totally insane. With there's not like there's all this insane elements going on, but there's nothing supernatural or super convenient happening. The acting is just super solid. Um, it's a bizarre and fun. It's bizarre and fun in like a really accessible way. Lots of people enjoy this movie. It's not too weird for people. Um, and there's some really cool shots, shots and trippy uh, sequences. What about you? I love the dude's philosophy on life. The way that he retains his dudeness throughout all these crazy situations i think is so much fun and and also just an idea i love exploring and we will explore it today i agree the acting is amazing we have some great memorable interesting characters that we get to meet throughout this film uh, there's great motifs i think i'm using that word right like i love how bowling is a very like is a very important visual aspect of this movie it's used constantly especially in those trippy scenes which i also enjoy a lot uh, a lot of memorable quotes in origins of memes that came out of this movie uh i knew a lot of the memes from this movie before ever seeing it uh i only saw this movie for the first time very recently and so you had watched this movie on silent previously i like, essentially just in, in small clips yeah i guess it's very <laughs> yes i saw four or five screens of it uh i wouldn't really say that's watching on silent but i had heard a lot about it i heard this movie was very important and uh so it had a lot to live up to going into it and i think that it did a good job of uh you know living up to some of the hype or at least uh i i think that it was worth the hype the people who told me to watch this movie had a point um and also yeah the plot is ridiculous and unpredictable which is definitely a, uh, a i don't know an interesting aspect of this film uh what didn't you like about it joy well as much as the plot is kind of insane and fun i feel like it's also very contrived and also kind of distracting to the point of the movie in a in a weird way like it just steps on itself and gets in its in its own way um and it meanders in a confusing way that doesn't really seem to really end up meaning anything um there does seem to be some deeper meanings to this film but it definitely also seems like people kind of project their own meanings onto it so that's something else i want to talk about what about you i agree the the plot is ridiculously complicated the first time i saw this movie i was watching it with a friend and we prepared white russians to enjoy while we watched the film and after i was reflecting back i was like maybe i had too many white russians because i'm having trouble piecing together exactly what just happened and on the second watch through i realized 
it it's not my fault. <laughs> I, I, I think this movie is, you know, is going for a bit much with all the different involved parties and developments in the plot and things that you thought were true that ended up not being true. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you there. But I do believe there's a purpose for this. And again, we will hash that out. Uh in the overall section, which I think it's time for, uh, we're gonna let's take a look at this movie from an overall perspective. Joey, take it away. This is such a weird movie, um, and it's like it's like antithetical to a lot of the way movies are structured and everything. Like the plot and everything kind of comes together in this weird meandering way that doesn't seem to really matter at all. Like you really don't care about what's going on with anybody except for the dude and Walter. Like. Everyone else kind of fades to the background and you're just like, eh, well, you know, bunny, whatever, whatever happened to her. It doesn't even matter. Never liked her. But the big Lebowski, like, screw him. He was mean to the dude and everything. Like, n nobody else, like, matters in this universe. The only people that you care about are your two main characters. And the plot just kind of gets in the way of what you want to see them doing, which is just hanging out and talking about whatever they want to talk about. So, I don't know, it's, it's weird in that way because you don't really care that anything happens or nothing will happen and that's kind of like a big theme in this is like what what really matters what like does anything matter do you should you care if anything matters i don't know i think i think that that makes the dude such an interesting guy it's easy to be laid back and and doodly when things are easy and nothing's <laughs> going on but when ridiculous stuff is happening and you're still able to re retain that level of zen i think is what makes the dude so interesting yeah but like is that something worth looking up to you know i mean that surely makes him an interesting character but i don't know like i feel like there's a lot of there's kind of this cult behind the dude uh, almost literally um and like people kind of revere him for his zen nature and everything but i don't know if that that's kind of the lifestyle that I feel like people should emulate. Like the idea that nothing could shake you off of your feet. You know, nothing that nothing hits you is ever going to change the way that you see the world or, or make you change the, your ways. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't buy it, I guess. I think it's interesting. And I think that the chaotic and almost unplanned plot structure emulates real life because there's no real plot in real life. This weird stuff happens randomly, and you just have to deal with it. And I like the way that the d the dude chooses to deal with it. Um, and there's a lot to okay. that. So I want I don't want to take your uh, your thought process here off the rails. No, we will that's, continue that's to talk a good about point. Those. Because like, yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of emulating real life in an exaggerated way, which is exactly what you want to see in a movie. Is an exaggerated showing of realism. And the movie, for what it's worth, like for its like it's commendable for its lack of direction. Like the plot kind of moves and random jumps and starts. Um, and it's really kind of hard to understand what's going on. But to its credit, the movie never stops and like explains to you what's going on. There's only like one moment I can think of where everything kind of comes to a stop and the dude's like, okay, here's really what happened. You know, every other time it's just like, there's no backtracking. There's never like a moment where, you know, Donnie's in the car and he's like, wait, what's going on? And then they explain to him what's going on. You know, it's just... It just happens and you just kind of have to accept it. You know, at some point they're at some suburban kid's house and his dad is on an iron lung. Like it doesn't have to make sense. Like it's just there. And it certainly doesn't. And you're right. It's <laughs> the first time I, again, the first time I was watching, it, I was like, man, this is so much to keep up with. I can't, I can't keep track. But then the second time I realized, oh, yeah. it, it actually doesn't matter at all. They could just, they're just doing more stuff. <laughs> like it, they're taking it, yeah. they're pushing it to the extreme of like, here's another like random setting and actions that may or may not have any consequences at all 
Yeah, exactly. And like the movie's stylistic and kind of almost eerie tone, like doesn't necessarily put it in a specific time and place. Uh, but there are they are kind of about specific people. Like the characters, despite their adherence to specific stereotypes, sort of exist out of time. So you can kind of like it's you can imagine that they exist in a bowling alley today just as easily as they did 20 years ago. That kind of moves this movie into this timeless aspect, right? Where it's it's set in a specific time period, but because of your very specific like like characters, they're outside of that timeline and they they can exist farther outside of that kind of small area that you're narrowing yourself into which is like a weird kind of backwards way of doing it i don't know i think is i think that aids a lot to this movie's cult status is the fact that um like the dude and walter kind of exist outside of time inside the movie that is set in a specific time so therefore they exist outside of any time Ooh, you're, um, you're, you're <laughs> I, i'm getting i'm going back in time with your the spells you're casting on me right now dude i <laughs> Well, I mean, because Walter's character is very much uh, from a certain period. He's a veteran yes. from Nam. Yes. Right, but this movie's set in the 90s, and like Nam was what, the 70s? 60s? Um, we should know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. The Vietnam War started in 1954, and it lasted until uh, 1975. Right, so he's definitely living in the past, which is a big part of his character. Yes, but I think the dude is as well. He's representing a certain like hippie culture that was oppo- like diametrically opposed to Walter and his neoconservatism. So, like the fact that they're still alive and still doing this is kind of silly. But it's also you know outside of the realm of the '90s. You know, it's outside of that kind of whatever that kind of thing. And I've seen articles about how. The, the Big Lebowski is really ahead of its time because these characters kind of come, have come back in a, in a weird way. Um, whereas in the 90s, we were way more optimistic, at least as far as the media goes. So it wasn't until after you know, 9-11 and I guess the late 2010s that people started becoming more nihilistic, and more cynical about things. Yeah, I guess we definitely don't think of the 90s in terms of like people that used to be hippies or people that used to be pro-war in Vietnam. Right. Yeah, but I mean, it kind of brings me back to the dude, really, like, there's kind of, this whole movie circles around him, and he doesn't seem to care about material things, he doesn't have any goals or ambition, he's described as being lazy, and maybe that's true, um, but he still kind of gets caught up in this wild series of events, despite his best efforts. And, like, what I think is interesting is that he does seem to have agency, right? He tries to do things, he tries to make things happen, but he's constantly interrupted. And he's const- constantly, things are knocking on his door, phones are ringing, people are driving him around. You know, he kind of floats through his own life without being kind of this existential hero that you see in a lot of other movies where the, the hero doesn't have any agency. It reminds me a lot of that movie Stranger Than Fiction. Have you seen that one? Uh, I have not. That, this, I'll give you a quick rundown. Will Ferrell is in that movie. He plays a character in a novel that is currently being written. Um, and he discovers that he is a character in a novel, and so he decides that he has to test that kind of limits, and one of the things that someone suggests he does is stay home and don't do anything all day. 
because he's either in a type of movie where he has to drive action or action comes to him. And while he's in his apartment by himself, some like bulldozer comes through and like tears out half of his wall. And it kind of proves that that no matter where he hides, the plot will find him. And that's kind of how the dude reminds me of that a lot, where he's sitting in his bed, listening, sitting in his bath, listening to whale noises. And then the, you know, the German nihilists walk in with a ferret. Like there's nothing he could do. It just comes to him. So I don't know. It's an interesting kind of dynamic to have a character that doesn't necessarily um, display a lot of agency or isn't able to act on his agency, but still, like, you can clearly see he's trying to make decisions. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to do what's right and, and make decisions, but it doesn't really necessarily work out for him. He at least has some agency in the way he reacts <laughs> to the, the things that are happening to him. Yeah. And I think the biggest irony to this whole thing is that the dude and the filmmakers seem to detest nihilism and reject it fully, yet the, it's the dude who agrees with Walter when he says, fuck it, let's go bowling. The madcap plot, the wild world of third-wave fem- feminist art and pornography, the death of a dear friend, the dude faces each of these and has the same distant attachment. Is that really what we want to live our lives like? Is that really something that's worth emulating? Like, I don't know. Sometimes I think I think about like, oh, you know, I, I watched this really interesting or powerful video about, you know, blank subject, you know, and what am I going to do? Am I just going to click on the next one or am I going to reflect on this? Am I going to internalize this? Am I going to change my actions because of this? And then some, you know, cynical piece of my mind is like, ah, oh, you're just going to change your mind because you watched this one video. Like, <laughs> oh, I, you know, what are you going to tell when people ask you about this lifestyle choice of yours? You're like, oh, I watched a video on YouTube. And it's like, I feel like such an asshole. Like if I, if I did that, I need to have some deeper meaning to that. But I also think to myself, what will it take? You know, what will it take for me to move from my steadfast beliefs in this one specific area? Do I really know that much about this thing? Is it, and do I want to live my life as if I know best always? Or do I, am I willing to change my mind about things? And I, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting here on the dude like so many other people do. But this, this kind of idea that like, you know, all of these things can happen to you and all of these things can, and you don't come out any better or change from it. I feel like that's a, a lapse in judgment in a way. And kind of nihilistic. Yeah. Like, I feel like they push to like they like the dude's way of living is at the edge of nihilism like he pushes pretty far up until uh like nihilism which of course they detest or they push that in the film at least yes which is kind of interesting i guess maybe he does place value in some things like listen like bowling for instance and uh so there are certain in like the aesthetic of his crappy apartment (laughs) And his friends, too. And his friend, No, yeah. And that's an important part, too. And honestly, that's the, like, hopeful side of it that I see, is that life is tough. We're not all going to be winners. Uh, but, you know, especially in your old age, uh, like the dude, where most of his life has already taken place, and it's, I mean, anything could happen, but it, it doesn't really seem like a lot of things that people aspire to are going to happen to him. He doesn't have a wife. You know, he lives right. in a crappy little apartment. His career has slowed down, as he calls it. <laughs> But that doesn't mean that he has to be unhappy and look at himself as a failure. You know, his friends are definitely unhinged weirdos, but he still enjoys their company and they enjoy his. They're there for each other. They're, uh, this, this life that, they're, that he's living is not a life that's going to be easy to pitch. It's not something that a lot of people aspire to, but it is a life probably not that much unlike one that many people do live. And I think part of that dudeism is just looking at that and taking it for what it is and being happy even in a situation that's not necessarily 
the stereotype for happiness. Yeah, I, I, excuse me. I think there is some some value to that, and I do think like stoicism and being like strong in, you know, finding strength within yourself. I guess is certainly a, a valuable and you know attractive quality, but to the degree of like, to, I feel like the dude truly embraces that to the point where it's there's nothing he does that he doesn't criticize. There's not there's no such such thing as self improvement for the dude, you know, and. I don't know. I just, I don't buy that. I don't, I don't agree with that message at all. But at the same time, it's like you're, he's contrast with the big Lebowski, right? With Jeffrey Lebowski. And he's, um, he's sitting there with his like walls full of achievement of achievers. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. He has that, he has that, uh, uh, achievement, achievement, achievement. I don't even know. Okay. You Uh, said achievement seven times. So are you talking about? (laughs) No, it's an achievement achievement. I'm sure of it. Wait, he had, there was an achieve. I know he had the achievers, which were the 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 urban achievers, but he had like, he had an award for achieving, (laughs) you know, and he literally, every time you talk to him, he says, achieve, he says, I'm going to achieve this. You have to achieve that. Okay. That's like his whole thing, but he doesn't, but in the end, you find out that he was broke the whole time, that he just has this, he also kind of lives this life, this kind of aesthetic, you know, and he, he's living in this big mansion, but he really doesn't have anything to do uh, except for like trying to steal money off of his, from his foundation. So I don't know, like, I don't know what to take from that either. Like, is that like that achieving things, um, you know, going out and, and getting the, the, the key to the city and and changing the lives of these people that's meaningless as well like that's not worth uh, achieving that's not worth pursuing is the dude really better than the big lebowski well i think that's more of like a criticism of like the uh um rugged individualism like the obviously the big intended uh, oh rugged nice um i love all the rug based content we've been doing because we just did aladdin which had the magic carpet uh which this movie had in one of the trippy visuals mod was riding the rug That's as right a i was carpet. thinking about that <laughs> but um because he also says some very like stereotypical or rather i should say cliche things about his time in nam where he's like nobody helped me when i lost my legs i you know i did things on my my own way and i still found a way to achieve and and these they're kind of uh, criticizing that idea where it's like oh so your life is has been worth living because you were able to get these things done like these papers mean that your life is better than mine and now you you feel like you can treat me like garbage like you can treat me like a jack off because i don't have the certificates i didn't go to college you know and i think it just helps to maybe not totally devalue that because obviously if no one did anything we wouldn't have anything but (laughs) at the same time achievers uh shouldn't be so full of themselves you know we're still all just people i mean that's true but it's also easy to look at like the dude from you know um the big lebowski's perspective right seeing like seeing this man who had the privilege of his legs and yet achieved nothing right went off and and wasted what he was given um, as opposed to this other guy who, you know, went forth and, and achieved and changed the world um, through his sheer will, despite, you know, not having the use of his legs. You know, it's easy to see that as kind of squandering your gifts, I guess, in a big way. Well, yeah, but who's the better person? 
because the big Lebowski is kind of a scumbag. And as it's just, I love that the movie doesn't make the uh, disabled character automatically wholly good. They're not afraid to make him a person, which I think is good. You you yeah. shouldn't treat them. You should treat them like a person in in the movie and in real life. And he's. He, and turns out to be a guy who was trying to steal money from like a children's foundation and was willing to like let his wife potentially have harm come to her in the process. So he's just he's just a scummy guy who hides behind achievement to say that his life is better than potentially a guy like uh, the dude who has just been chilling. And, and as far as I can tell, he at least doesn't bring any malice intentionally to anyone else in his life. He's pretty friendly. No, he definitely is. The dude definitely has some sort of moral compass to him, you know? He definitely has a sense of what's right and wrong, and he's constantly trying to do that in this movie, despite Walter's best efforts. And then, like, but I don't know. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive either, and maybe that's yeah, like, no, obvious. No. But, but in this case, but like, in this case, in, I think it In this us. case, I think that's kind of their point, which I disagree with, you know, that you, like... You can be this like mean asshole guy who looks down on other people and still achieve, and that makes you less than the person who never went through something or like never tried. I guess you could say. You know, I don't. I feel like those two in the movie they paint the dude as being the more sympathetic, the better character. He's constantly getting one up on the big Lebowski. He's constantly, um, you know, making himself out to be more, like holier than him, better than him in every way. But at the same time, like, does is does he is what he's doing is the lifestyle he's chosen really that much better? I don't think so. It's um he didn't do nothing though, didn't he? Tell Maude about some of the things that he had done a long time ago. Yeah, so he was part of the Seattle Seven, which is like some um like I guess civil rights group. I think something something to do with the Vietnam War, like protesting the Vietnam War. Okay. Um, he also wrote like uh, some sort of treaty or something some sort of um the, the port huron statement yes port which, huron um, is in michigan right so i think that was some sort of like anti-war essay or something and he was a roadie for metallica they were assholes yeah they're assholes though but <laughs> again it's like it's not that he never did anything right now he's definitely not doing anything but it's things that aren't necessarily like categorized as like the good stuff you know yeah, but like, if you look back on your, I mean, how old is he? Is he forty years old? You know, you look back on his life, and he's got these three things to 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 hang his hat on. You know, none of these things are like making his life any better. None of these things are even necessarily affecting anything anymore. You know, all those those are all gone in the past. I mean, Metallica may still be around, but they don't they certainly don't miss their roadie. <laughs> But that's the thing. That's the thing. The dude can look at his life and still be happy, even though it doesn't measure up to the standards of others, which I think is kind of a beautiful thing, especially for people who may have some, you know, late in life distress about their accomplishments. I mean, I think I think that's true, but only because you're looking at the dude and say, at least I did more than him. <laughs> or at least I can react to what little I've done like him. I, I think it's more of a, it's like a, a way that you choose to perceive life. Okay. I mean, I, yeah. Whether okay. you think what he's done, because yes, I agree. I don't think I'd be super stoked to wake up and be 45 and be, you know, not have accomplished all that much. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I, I get where you're coming from, but I, I also, I, I identify with his 
uh, outlook on life, at least in certain situations, especially in situations where you can't control the outcome. And that's when I think his outlook is the most powerful. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, that's the basis of stoicism in a big way is being able to recognize when you can control something and then but also taking action where you have the ability to, which I think the dude fails to do. Well, we will discuss this a little bit more in detail uh, in our deeper section. I do want to continue our overall discussion. And one of the things I thought was interesting was the setting of this movie, especially because of the way it somewhat subverts your expectations in the very beginning because it has this slow, twangy country western song about tumbleweeds playing. And you see this tumbleweed tumbling up like a desert. And then it rolls up to the top of a hill and reveals... LA with the opposite well I wouldn't say the opposite but it's very much not the wilderness that the desert is and um and that's where our story takes place which I don't know was there any commentary on LA is that is are they trying to oh I think there's tons of commentary about LA he calls it Los Angeles you know I think there's an implication that the or like okay this is this is my big clue right at the very beginning the stranger Sam Elliott he says um it's called the City of Angels, but I found that not to be true, you know, or something along those Which lines. Which is that was his, my Sam Elliott voice. Sam Elliott is great for the country western voice. Oh yes, definitely. So I I feel like that whole that and then throughout the movie, you know, there's like this misunderstanding of of like the City of Angels in a way. It's like oh, it's it's supposed to be this thing, but it's really not that thing. It's re- it's really not that thing. <laughs> and he calls it um, like Los Angeles. They were, again, kind of missing the point, I guess, like mispronouncing it. Um, and then, of course, your first character you meet is the dude. Um, and then you kind of hear a little bit about what's going on in the country too. You know, there's you're not shown the glamorous life that Los Angeles promises. You're not shown that this is a city of angels of opportunity. You see, this is the city of the dude who is meant to be our hero, not just of this movie, but of the entire city. You know, he is the most laziest in, in Los Angeles, uh, which puts him on the near the top of the laziest in the world. <laughs> so it's certainly not saying many good things about Los Angeles. Oh, that's great. Well, I, I, I do like movies that have intention about the city that they are placed in, where it's not just generic metropolis. It's saying, hey, this is L.A. Because at the same time, even if it's not that much of a promotional thing for L.A., yeah, uh, what do they call it? Los Angelonians? Uh, No. What do you call someone from Los Angeles? I don't know. They call him something. They call him it in the movie. I can't remember. Um, An extra. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, people who are like live in Los Angeles can you know have that extra level uh, uh, to identify with this movie because they're like, oh, I, I know this place. I, I I live there. Yeah. I also think that this is like a deliberate subversion because this movie is like a subversion of a lot of movie tropes, and to to purposely like devalue Los Angeles is like a classic oh like a classic middle finger to like classic uh, hollywood because not there's nothing hollywood loves more than a great hollywood story right just look at la la land la la land is the is the perfect example of that you know they're they love movies where the redemption happens in los angeles where you go to los angeles and your dreams come true this movie says nah that's not happening yeah as a guy who's lived in the southeast and like the 
central south i definitely think people in la and california in general think they're way too important there's plenty of other america out there and we we deserve representation as well call me when the dude lives in oklahoma city uh that's a movie that i will stand um the problem with that (laughs) is he would just do nothing the whole movie he would just be chilling straight up the whole time <laughs> It'd be just two hours of like the dude drinking white Russians and, because like, nothing bowling. would happen because nothing happens in OKC. Yeah, well, I, I mean, not nothing, but for, from the dude's perspective, I think it would be mostly about the bowling tournament. <laughs> that would okay. be the whole story, which I would I'd probably enjoy as well. But speaking of bowling, let me switch gears from LA to talk about bowling because I love this motif. It is so good. Every like dreamy sequence has bowling in it just it kind of tells you just how much bowling is inside the dude's mind at all times like it's it's the one constant in his life when nothing else goes right like when him and walter are on the phone together arguing with each other uh after at some point in the complicated plot they're obviously (laughs) mad at each other and then the conversation ends with him like yeah i'll see you at practice (laughs) like (laughs) like, even amongst all the chaos they're still focused on playing uh bowling which is great especially the title sequence when they actually show the big lebowski and then we get the the opening credits where you see just normal people bowling and it's so funny because they depict it accurately. It's, I, in mm. my opinion, it's not over the top at all. They just get it spot on, especially my favorite part of it. And I, I'd like, <laughs> you can't see it because it's a podcast, but Joey can see me. And the part where the guy bowls and like you see his midsection and then like he, yes. you see him get a strike and he like does like a little twist. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you see his paunch and like just his arm like rotating in the twist so that that's exactly how people like react when they when they're bowling like because it is so funny to see their faces because you usually don't see people's faces when they're bowling you look at the back of them right and you see them have like a really big reaction and then they reduce it quickly before turning around you know all these little subtle things that that are so easy to point out like that's that is bowling that's hilarious (laughs) that's bowling right there. yeah like it's not nailed it's and especially because it's just barely in slow motion it's it looks funnier than it is in real life, uh, but it retains that comedy because they never go overboard. In this ridiculous movie, the hilarious bowling sequence is just accurate. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is like it's it's shot so seriously, it's shot so dramatically, right? It's it's meant to be this thing of almost reverence in a way, and like the routine, the ritual of bowling is just glamorized in this movie. I think it's wonderful. Um, and that bowling alley looks so nice and like it's like this classic old bowling alley and everything's so clean and, and like sparkling. And they always see the people like with the Zambonis and like cleaning the st- and stuff and cleaning the shoes. Oh my gosh, the part where the guy is going down the line spraying the shoes. That's <laughs> so funny because you're like, oh God, what did shoes really like at the bowling alley? Oh, and there's a there's someone upstairs in a action movie John Wick fight slamming someone's head <laughs> against the wall. So hopefully the mic's not picking that up. That's been going on all day today's construction. So hopefully they won't hear that. My favorite um, aspect of the bowling sequence um, is when the, the camera slowly pans back and you see five people bowl consecutively right next to each other in their lanes. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's just like perfect choreography. choreography. They're just like they come, one guy bowls and then you pull back and the next guy comes in and, and like perfectly... Uh, it's so good. It's great. It's so good. Some of them are wearing like wrist guards. Some of them yeah. are uh, like you know in uniforms and stuff. It's just very 
authentic and i love it it like it makes fun of bowling but at the same time definitely has a reverence for it and is celebrating it despite also making a mockery of it <laughs> yes so i i do love that it's a big part it makes me want to go bowling honestly it's been too long um, but also i think all bowling alleys have that old type of technology i mean they were taking they were taking it by hand they're scoring by hand yes. which is pretty crazy um but the, the technology at the, at least the bowling alleys i've been to is not that much like it hasn't advanced that much further past pen and paper like <laughs> the computers are super old like the whole screen has to refresh to update anything you know yeah like, <laughs> yeah yeah uh i love that meme that was going around like i guess a couple of months weeks ago yeah 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 the one the when you bowl the, a strike when you get a, when you bowl a strike screens the bowling alley that was, that was the best yeah i love that's those. the kind of memes i love uh. <laughs> they're so full of uh, they're so silly uh yeah and I, I liked that a lot um also, one one thing I want to say um, about the narrator, just his kind of role in this, because I thought it was... In- you mean the stranger? Yeah, the, yeah, the stranger, the uh, the cowboy twang. I think you need to go lower. A little bit lower. A little, yeah, a little bit lower. <laughs> Can you still understand me when I'm talking? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he played an interesting part in this movie, and I think one of the most impactful things he said is at the beginning, he talks about how his knowledge of this story that he's about to tell you is the reason why he feels like the good Lord didn't uh, like cheat him out of a good life. Like this story to him is so valuable that it is the reason why his life was worth living, which I think is a pretty powerful endorsement for the story of the big Lebowski. Yeah, exactly. But also like, I hate when people have, like, they write that into their own story, you know, it's like, Oh, Hey, this is a good one. <laughs> I wrote it. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He is definitely patting the Cohen brothers on the back, but the Cohen brothers have their like they're his puppet. So yeah, like, yeah exactly. <laughs> who's really patting who on the back here? Maybe it's the brothers so, patting each other. <laughs> yeah, there's two of them. So the one there's another aspect of the stranger that I I found while I was doing some research for this movie that I found was kind of interesting. Um, just as uh, the dude and Walter represent certain stereotypes. Um, from our past, from the U.S.'s past, so does the stranger. He also represents a certain stereotype about like the old West, and maybe he is from you know, uh, you know, metaphorically from the past, looking to the future to see what is going on now and what kind of great stories are being told now about the heroes of today. Um, so that's kind of an interesting aspect of it. Yeah, and and especially because the cowboy exists in L.A. also he's kind of out of his element like he exists in a place where he really shouldn't exist and i think that that's part of why he likes the dude so much because the Mm. dude also kind of commits to this character uh that is very different from his environment like wearing a cowboy like costume essentially (laughs) is pretty out there but so is wearing a bathrobe out in public in sandals in sandals yeah you're committing to this totally authentic version of yourself or how you want to present yourself uh so because they have that exchange where they're like i like your uh you know i, li- I like your i don't know they don't say your style he says he said, I like I like your style. style that's right he looks at him he's like i like your style too <laughs> you know this whole cowboy thing going on which is so great um so yeah i thought it was an interesting way to go about being the narrator although i didn't really feel like it was all that impactful like he kind of was more of I liked him as a deep voice narrator more than I thought he was super important to the story. Yeah, but I I, I thought it was an interesting. You're right. It was an interesting aspect to have him actually in, directly interact with the dude a couple times without ever actually affecting the plot. 
Um, and, and yeah, I just kind of like that whole idea. Although he does kind of insert that one line of um, of wisdom to him, right? He says, sometimes the bear, and sometimes you eat the bar, sometimes the bar eats you. Right, and they definitely say bar, even though it's bear. They definitely do, but then something will say bear. Yeah, which I also don't understand what it would mean if it was bar anyways. Like, I think bear makes more no, sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. When I first saw the movie, I was like, that line makes no sense. Like Maybe it's like mean? a lawyer joke. Like sometimes you pass the bar and sometimes you mm. fail and have to retake it like next year. Lawyer, lawyers ask, like, email us if that's funny. Right. <laughs> According to uh, Article 15, Statute C, that is actually funny to lawyers. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, moving on from the narrator, um, we've talked a little bit about uh, Walter and the dude, but we haven't talked about Donnie. And I love Donnie. Steve Buscemi is so good in everything he does. And even in this, I would call it minor. Would you call this role minor? Yes, definitely. It, he's not even a supporting character. He is like minor. Yeah. And he's, but he, the role that he plays is great because one of the funniest things about the dialogue in this movie is the way that Donnie can only focus on one aspect of the conversation at a time. Like the first time we see this is when Donnie is bowling and he comes back and the dude and Walter are in the middle of talking about what happened you know, at the beginning, uh, peeing on the, the carpet. And that's all Donnie can keep track of is that someone peed on dude's carpet. So he keeps on at, like saying that throughout it. And it's, and then what's the funniest part about it is that it always ends, the conversation ends with the thing that Donnie was so, so focused in on, which makes him yeah. feel validated for having only focused on that thing. He doesn't see right. a problem with the way he, he, no, he these. totally led that to that conversation. Yeah. They were talking about the same thing the whole time. They were never switched track. Exactly. Like yeah, the like, other time was when uh, they found out that the league game is on Saturday and uh, Walter's like, I can't do that. That's on Shabbos. And and so even though there's all this other storyline going on, Donnie's just like, so how do you get around on Shabbos if you can't drive? You <laughs> yeah, know? he's like really focused on that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I love that line when he has um, right after he explains the whole rug thing says his name is Lebowski. That's your name, dude. <laughs> Yeah, he says like the most obvious things. Like also when uh, the like dude leaves and his phone is ringing, he's like, "Your phone's ringing, dude!" Like, <laughs> thanks, Donnie. He's thanks, just naming Donnie. the most obvious things. Um, the other one, oh, when they were when they went to see um, the landlord's like one man show, which I thought was so funny that not only the dude actually show up, but also Walter and Donnie showed up too. Like, do they even there was know more than just them in the audience? Like there's some guy in the background, like heavily, like into it. He was just like stroking his beard. Like, wow, what is this? Which like, is that just, does everyone in LA do a one man show? Is like that a thing where like eventually if you live in LA long enough, like eventually, have no friends. eventually you'll be hosting a one man show. No, no, wasn't there a one-man show in La La Land? Was there? Or it, yeah, was it? Oh yeah, that was uh, Emma Stone's uh, sh- show. That's Hers right. It was a one-woman show. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. it's uh, it's just I think that if you live in LA long enough, like eventually you're like, oh, what do you know? I, I it looks like I, I'm finally doing one now too. Wow. You know, <laughs> like I, it's scheduled for next week. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I'm sure they have a lot of one-man theaters that are available. I guess, uh, but. When they were talking in that theater, they were talking about going to that Larry kid's house, and he's like, it's over by the In-N-Out Burger. And for the rest of the conversation, Donnie's only focused on that. And then at the end, they end up saying like, and then after we can go to burgers at In-N-Out, he's like, oh yeah, they got great burgers. Like, I loved the way in his limited use, Donnie ended up being hilarious pretty much every time. And his, I mean, 
there was something about him uh, that I think made me feel satisfied in his death. Because throughout the movie, there's a lot of transitions that start with Donnie bowling a strike. And then he'll say mm. something cheeky like, oh, man, I'm really slinging it tonight. You guys are dead meat. Like, <laughs> talking trash <laughs> to, like, the tough-looking biker dudes, even though Donnie's, like, such a shrimpy little guy. And um, <laughs> you see him multiple times do that, where he'll hit a strike, he'll walk back, and then the dialogue will begin. That happens again just before uh, they go outside to confront the nihilist Germans, but this time Donnie bowls a nine, and the, mm-hmm. there's the one pin that's... And at this point in the story, all of the storylines have been tied up except for the nihilist Germans. They found out that the Germans never kidnapped her and that the money never existed. So everyone, all the other players are out of the game, for the most part, except for the nihilist Germans. That's the one pin that's still spinning. And, um, you know, nine in uh, German, it means none. Okay. (laughs) Is that true? I don't know if that's true. I I, I thought it means no. No. Well, either way, I don't, I'm not (laughs) agreeing with what you just said, but I thought it was pretty cool that they had that, like, just one last thing. And because it's the, it's the first time that Donnie doesn't hit a strike that it, something's up. You know, something's going to change. And obviously he, he dies right after that, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Like for such a small character, they really put a lot into him and made him really likable. It definitely warrants his like, I saw, I, I don't know, the, the, the movie art that when you rent it on YouTube, Donnie's on the front of it, they're holding a bowling ball. And it definitely right. justified his inclusion on the front of the movie because he's great. For sure. Um, we also talk a little bit about um, nihilism and... <laughs> I don't know. We, we've kind of covered this already, but I just, I thought there's some pretty funny quotes about it. Like when they're at the bowling <laughs> or when they're at the pool and uh, he, Bunny is asking the dude to blow on her toes and he looks at the guy in the pool. He's like, you sure he won't mind? And she goes, oh, he doesn't care about anything. He's a nihilist. And he's definitely passed out from too much drinking. And dude's like, must be exhausting. <laughs> dude, that's so funny. Like, and then later he sees him on TV. You're like, oh, I know that guy. He's a nihilist. <laughs> a nihilist. Like, that's what I know him from. He's like a notable nihilist. Um, and then they're also, he definitely is. I, I honestly don't know any nihilists, I don't think. Um, but do they really go around bragging about how they don't believe in anything? Like, we believe in nothing, Lebowski. Na- <laughs> like, nothing. Like, they're being, they're not being very nihilist about how nihilist they are. Like, they're, exactly. they're propping up their nihilism. Um, and then when they're confronted in the parking lot, the part where Don he has a heart attack i love how much walter disrespects them how he's like donnie's like are they gonna hurt us he's like no no donnie these men are cowards there's nothing to be afraid of <laughs> solely the only thing he knows about them is that they're german and, the, and that they're nihilists but based on that walter's confident that they're not in danger which is hilarious <laughs> like <laughs> it's just um even in the absence of a true critique of nihilism i believe because the the dude gets dangerously close to nihilism in his own way of life um i think that they do just a funny job of dunking on nihilism in general yes i think that's true i have a kind of a, a plot question like so well like why were they involved at all who who were they like exactly they were yeah that's right they were members of some band remember uh yeah mod yeah, they had, had a, the yeah, lp in her collection great, like like in-depth prop by the way <laughs> yeah. have, like, a record of these guys <laughs> yeah and but yeah you're i don't know um i because like i think they were they were supposed to be the hired 
by they were supposed to be the kidnappers, right? But there were never any kidnappers. Right, because the bunny actually left on her own accord. She went on a joyride and uh, unless they are hired by Jackie Treehorn to rough up the dude for the money that that Jackie Treehorn thinks the dude has. Is it right? I could see it. Did they do they know Jackie Treehorn? Do we ever see them together? I don't think so. Uh, this leads me know. to the next thing I want to talk about is the unnecessarily complicated plot. Um, okay. Because there's so many little things that get added in there that just add to the complexity of this film that I think are it's too much to, to handle. And I, and I think they expect you not to be able to, um, which can be super frustrating. Uh, like the, the fact that the big Lebowski, which was what you, we end up calling the, the rich Lebowski, the guy who goes by Lebowski, not the dude. Mm-hmm. He's actually not that rich. Like he's, he's a good guy like he's like accomplished a lot of things and he's very charitable and has like an organization but like he flaunts his wealth more than he actually has it like him and Maud have this complicated relationship where they both disapprove each other's lifestyle like this kid larry comes in with the homework but he doesn't have the money because the, the money never existed but he he still stole the car so they're after him for the money uh like like there's every turn there's a new party that is involved and you're trying to remember who knows who this this freaking f or not this private investigator shows up and starts talking about how much he loves the dude's work he's like you 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 know you're in bed with everybody you you got everyone playing against each other this is genius and you're like (laughs) who are you what is going on here like Maud, okay, another person you don't even remember. Maud brings in her like artist friend who like can't stop giggling, and then they yeah, and they have like that se- that sequence where the dude is just standing there, and both of them are laughing really hard on the phone. That never leads and, to anything. And the whole scene is just to like tell him to go to the doctor again, right? And that leads to her wanting to get pregnant, but like not wanting a partner. For what reason? Actually, <laughs> that one I I actually do have a reason for the the, uh, the narrator at the end. The stranger says. That he was sad to see Donnie go, but he also knows that there's a little Lebowski on the way, and he's just basically just making a comment that's very much in the same like the dude lifestyle, which like like birth and death are are natural part of life. So I guess I guess, but it's so mixed in there with all these other random events and people you don't remember, you only see once, and it's like ah, I can't keep track of this, and I don't want to. I and that's where I find solace in the the ridiculous plot structure and why I still enjoy it. Um, is because it's just oh an opportunity for the dude to show us how he retains his outlook on life no matter the circumstances. And then that's very doodly of him. Uh, right. Is, uh, it's El Duderino of him. And, yeah. and that's, I think that's what they're going for. So I think mission accomplished. I think you're exactly right. It's like, it's like I said at the beginning, right? Like the plot kind of steps on itself and it gets in its own way. And, and but like, like you said, like, just like the chaos of real life, like somehow you have to find a way to deal with it. Um, but I guess what I would what I would prefer is to see how someone else dealt with it instead of everyone else being part of the chaos. You know, everyone else kind of is this storm that's orbiting the dude, and he's just standing in the middle waiting for things to hit him. You know, it's not like uh, some, there's someone else who braved the storm in a meaningful way that you could see and compare it to the dude. And or he went in there and then he failed because he got swept up in all the the chaos. You know, um, it's not like the dude is doing it's not like there's an alternative to this you know that is wrong or right that's shown to the movie it's just that the dude this is how the dude deals with chaos in his life no matter what kind of weird chaos it is right and and yeah so 
it's a you can take it or leave it i think that it's an outlook on life that they're presenting and you can decide if it's one that fits for you i like it and for the context of this movie it helps me to justify the ridiculous plot because it is ridiculous which I think ultimately somewhat diminishes the, the value of the movie because there's plenty of it where you can say, I don't even remember, and it doesn't matter that I don't remember that that happened. Yeah. Uh, but okay, that's going to conclude our overall section, and we're going to briefly touch on some of the, the songs in this movie because I, I would argue this movie has an eclectic soundtrack. Would you say it's eclectic? Yeah. <laughs> At the very least, I like the songs that they included. Uh, for instance, the sequence where they introduce Jesus, so funny. And and as a Hispanic American, as a Mexican American, I think I, I uh, at, at least have license to say I like the way they portrayed Jesus as a Hispanic individual. Because even though he's literally a um, pedophile... pedophile I still, I don't feel like that they were trying to be like Mexicans or pedophiles. They were making a funny character who happens to be Hispanic, especially because they got the Gypsy Kings to cover Hotel California. And like the, it's, it's just like uh, guitar plucking and we'll play a little bit of it here. Um, but it, it's just like a guitar plucking until he hits a strike and starts dancing. And then the, it, like the music drops in and the, it's Gypsy King singing Hotel California in Spanish. Um, and it's just amazing. Yeah, I, I love that part. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, it definitely fits with his whole aesthetic really well, you know. And but it, again, it's kind of like this weird adherence to a certain bit, you know. Like he's like wearing that skin tight leather stuff, and like he has his partner who's like a totally normal guy with a mustache, <laughs> you know. The stereotypical bowler. That guy, like yeah, he's like a little exactly. bit overweight. And then there's Jesus, who's like way too into this. He has like the the hairnet and everything, and he's always saying all sorts of crude things to Walter. Yeah. It's well, really they're great. obviously. I lo- yeah, I love it because it, it grounds him in reality a little bit more because obviously his his partner is like just still friends with him they're obviously like yeah. <laughs> buddies but he's just a normal he's like guy backing him up but like silently he's like nodding his head yeah. and everything. Like... <laughs> uh so yeah great i just want to celebrate jesus because he, he was just a hilarious minor character like very memorable from this movie um also they had a good they they were very respectful of the band Credence Clearwater Revival in this. Like when he was talking about what was in the car that might get stolen, he was like, the Credence, man. Like <laughs> he'd to make sure the cops know that there was Credence in the car. Um, I love Credence Clearwater Revival. And uh, they played Looking Out My Back Door in this movie, which was what he was listening to right before um, when he's getting tailed by the private investigator, he's smoking a, a roach and drinking beer, and then he drops the roach into his crotch and has to pour the beer over it. And- well, at first he tried to flick it out the window, but the window is closed. <laughs> and then he uh, and then he crashes, and that's like 
the song is playing when he does that and then he finds the note yeah, in the minor stunt in this like weird movie yeah and uh, but i just wanted to mention the inclusion of ccr i love that them and that song and then finally yeah well they also no they have like that, that whole scene with the cop right excuse me they they uh the cop is like get, like don't hold out hope for the clear for the credence you know like as if the credence <laughs> clearwater tapes are a real steal like those are definitely the things that those robbers are going to take from that guy. that's right yeah and um which i mean i i'm not saying that i ever would steal from a car but if a car that i was stealing from had just credence laying around <laughs> i mean yeah, better, i don't want to listen i don't want to put myself on the record here so i'll, I'll leave it at that <laughs> but i think we all know what would happen in that situation um <laughs> one more song i want to mention is uh peaceful easy feeling by the eagles which is playing in the cab when he when the dude is getting a ride home from the police station where and he asks them to turn it off because he hates the eagles which i think is funny because a the eagles are one of the most popular bands of all time and b because hotel california is by the eagles and that was playing earlier in the movie i really like that song me too i love the I like eagles yeah yeah and um yeah it's just funny that he doesn't care for them whatever or like but also like whatever also Haha, relatable moment when your cabbie or Uber driver is playing a song too loud and you hate that song, but you also feel too awkward to say anything about it. Yeah, or just in general when a song doesn't match your mood because he had just been through a really rough night and he's just leaving the police station and they're playing peaceful, easy feeling. Uh, Definitely (laughs) doesn't suit the mood. That's why I thought he was going to complain about, but he was more more concerned with who was playing the music. Uh, So... But it, it, they were, uh, I, I liked the songs, and I think eclectic confirmed. Okay. All right, it's time to move to our quotes. Quotes. All right, I got the first one. Bullshit, Walter. Mark it eight, dude. Smokey, this is not nom. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. This is when Walter confronts Smokey with his gun in the bowling alley, and poor poor old Smokey um, has to face down the barrel of a gun because... He didn't think he crossed over the line. I don't know. I think this is a very great Walter moment for sure. Um, And it just kind of shows his like adherence to so many things, right? First, his tendency toward violence. And then, of course, his um, like always relating stuff back to Vietnam and always reminding people, hey, I served in Vietnam. I was in Vietnam, you know, and uh, and how how much of a not just that I was there, but also how much of a nightmare it was, you know, and now I come back to the U.S. and I want to abide by the rules of bowling and all the other rules because in Nam, there were no rules. So I don't know. I think that's just a, a great line um, and a great Walter moment. You're right. And it also it shows his reverence for the sport of bowling itself, which he definitely loves a lot. There's a part where the dude is reflecting on how he's either going to get his Johnson cut off by the uh, the nihilists or yeah. he's going to be killed by the big lebowski because something bad is going to happen to bunny and walter brings up the tournament and he goes no f the tournament and f you walter and then walter <laughs> l- turns to him all offended he's like f the tournament like that's what, <laughs> that's what he's insulted about uh which yeah it just goes to show his uh what really motivates walter what's important to walter yeah um which is also a very dude thing of him to choose what he decides to be important. Because no matter what happens, bowling always stays near the top of Walter's priorities. Um, That's right. Just below Shabbos. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, I've got the next quote, which is in the same exact scene. You're entering a world of pain, Walter. Man. You mark that frame and eight, you're entering a world of pain. I'm not. A world of pain. Look, dude, I, 
This is your partner. Is the whole world gone crazy? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? Market zero! They're calling the cops, man. Put the piece away. Market zero! Walter, put the piece away. Walter? You think I'm fucking around here, market zero? So this, I just, I just want to bring this up because this is like a very, this is one of the most prominent examples of like the birth of a meme mm. uh, or, or just the origin of a meme, I should say. Because it definitely, I don't think it was a meme at the time. It definitely came later. But I remember this image being used so much with top text, bottom text in the early days of memeing. And I had no idea why John Goodman had a gun in a bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now you know. Yeah, now I know. And well, you uh, really need to coin a term for like um, moments in a movie that you find out are memes, uh, or like when you recognize as a, a meme as a moment in a movie. Yeah, we need I don't to, know it what needs to. It needs to be a, like a word that's like a combination of two other words. A portmanteau. A portmanteau. That's how you say it. I've how also heard you say it. I've heard portmanteau. I don't use this word because I don't know how to say it. <laughs> I've always heard portmanteau. Let's look it up. Portman. Because I bet Google will tell me how to say it. I bet you it will. Or at least Emma on Emma Says will. Portmanteau. That's what I'm <laughs> that was a great impression of Google. <laughs> um, something like, like a. It's when you recognize a GIF in, in IRL. Me- right? Meme Javu. You, you, yeah, a meme Javu. That's pretty good. Like a deja vu. Yeah, I've seen this meme. <laughs> meme Javu. That's great. All right, we'll work. We'll see. We'll see if that, if that if holds it sticks, up. But I like that a lot. Meme Javu. This is definitely a good example of it, especially because this one was just obviously it's one of the most, uh, I don't know, more, iconic. At, it is a very iconic meme, as, as much as I cringe at saying that. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to bring that up so everyone remembers. Hey, Remember this meme? Remember reposting this on your face, friend's Facebook wall? Uh, it was epic. What did you say? Le epic. It, yeah, it was let le me epic fail. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Am I the only... Am, dude, actually, I've seen this exact meme with like the troll faces put on John Goodman's <laughs> face, you know? Like, am I, am le, I the only one? <laughs> am I the only good, gentle sir who cares about upvotes anymore? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. All right, we're getting oh, deep geez. in the memes now. I think you got the next quote, right, Joey? Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's all Bitch. goddamn fake, man. It's like Lenin said. You look for the person who will benefit and uh uh you know, I am the walrus. Uh, you know, you'll uh uh well, you know what I'm trying to say? I am the walrus. Uh, That's Fucking bitch! Oh yeah! I am the walrus. That's ex- shut the fuck up, Donnie. This I think this is a really great example of the dialogue that's in this movie. Um, it's just how, first of all, no one ever seems to complete a sentence, especially not the dude. The dude just like will speak, and then whatever, however it's supposed to end, he can't remember. It doesn't matter. That's just you know what you're trying to say. I'm not what I'm trying to say. And of course, Donnie um, is like adhering to, like to one specific thing. He misheard Lenin as Lenin, which is a common mistake to make, obviously. And then of course, Walter chimes in um, with his uh, opinions about Bunny. So I don't know. I think it's like the whole the movie is kind of framed around these or uses these types of dialogue constantly. And um, uses this as a kind of motif about how all three of our characters interact with each other, and it keeps it consistent, which is always hysterical when it all comes together like this. It really is. It's it's a funny way to present dialogue. I think they do a good job of balancing meaningless banter with plot-moving dialogue. Definitely. 
Next one. I gotta tell you, Tone, man. Earlier today, I was really feeling shitty, man. Really down in the dumps. Lost a little money. Hey, you know what? Forget about it, huh? Forget about it. Yeah, fuck it, man. Can't be worried about that shit. Life goes on, man. Uh, home sweet home, Mr. Rell. So, I think this is another great example of the dude and the way he kind of philosophizes about life. Um, but I also think this is interesting because, you know, he's, he kind of returns to his dudeness, his um, dudely attitude, as you might say. His royal dudeliness? Yes. The, um, what does he call himself? Um, the dudeness? I don't remember what it El was. El Duderino? That's the one I was thinking of. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> he, um, he kind of returns to this after he thinks everything's going to be fine. After Maude tells him to give the money back to him, right? She's like, he, that she will give him $100,000 if he does. And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that because all he has to do is find that car again, right? And then he'll be good to go. So, like, before this, he was freaking out. A lot of anxiety that his, you know, his Johnson was going to be cut off by nihilists. Um, that he would have to sacrifice for the tournament or whatever. You know, he's getting strained relationship with with Walter. But now, you know, fuck it, man. He can't worry about that shit. Life goes on. So, I don't know. Is it, maybe his uh, dudeness is kind of conditional, you might say. Um, but also, um, he's quick to return to it as soon as things kind of die down. No, I think that's definitely true. Even um, there's a point in like when they're, he's riding with Walter where he's panicking about being the like the courier for the whole the big Lebowski and Bunny. Yeah. And Walter says you're very you're being very undudely right now. Yeah. Because he's kind of freaking out about stuff. He's not, you know, just chilling out, which is a very dude thing to do. Um, which, speaking of being very doodly, this next quote, I think, emulates that a lot. When did you start voting? Oh! What the fuck? In the limo, you son of a bitch. No hey, argument. Hey, hey, careful, man. There's a beverage here, huh? <laughs> which I love this bit. I love uh, him, you know, keeping his cool in a weird scenario. I mean, this happens a few times, you know, th to this effect. Like another one was where he was lighting up a joint in the presence of the big Lebowski talking about his wife being kidnapped. And he's looking at the ransom note and he's just like, man, that's a bummer. Like he's that's like, bummer, kind of, <laughs> he's like kind of coughing on his joint. Like, oh, man, it's a bummer. It's a bummer, like, <laughs> which is so funny. Like, he's still just being authentic. He's just being yeah. himself, um, and I really like that. Also, it reminds me of Trailer Park Boys. You seen Trailer Park Boys? A little bit, yeah. You know the character Julian, who part of his character is always having a drink. Like, there are times in that show where he'll do things that are way too action packed to have a drink, but he'll have it anyways. Like, he's in a car wreck where the car flips, and he's like crawling out from underneath it. The first thing you see is his his drink emerge, and he like crawls out <laughs> and makes sure not to spill it. Like, <laughs> and I, I don't know, it's just like a funny bit. Uh, and I uh, I agree, dude. You gotta be careful when you got the beverage there. Don't, yeah. don't waste the don't waste the white Russian. All right, my next one we've kind of already touched on, but I feel like bears repeating. Ah, he believes in nothing. He believes in nothing, Lebowski. Nothing. The classic line of any nihilist. Right. You know, if you ever meet a nihilist in the wild, you'll hear them say this. Obviously, it's one of the first <laughs> things they'll say. I don't know. I think it's just hysterical. Like people don't normally state their like <laughs> objective ideology outright, but the, but the nihilists are very proud of their nihilistic um, attributes. So they will constantly remind them of this. Yeah, and like they're using this as a way to scare him. But like, what does it really mean? You know, like we believe in nothing. Like we we <laughs> we will believe. Like we believe in no like reverend refer like like reformations or anything. We will uh you know we'll chop your Johnson off. No no problem. Because we don't believe in that. Yeah, there's no no 
I don't know, no mercy. I, yeah, again, it's just, they just sound like a bunch of airheads. They're just, yeah, we believe really. in nothing, which I think is hilarious, especially when they go against that at the end when they are talking to, when they have the encounter in the parking lot and they're like, his girlfriend cut off her toe because she thought she'd get a million dollars. It's not fair. And he's like, it's not, <laughs> it's fair. not fair. Who's the nihilist here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is freaking oh, so funny. And then he's like, you just settles for like whatever money they have in their pockets. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, and it's like $20 total. Like it's not even <laughs> Yeah. nowhere near enough money to repay that woman for cutting her toe off. Ah, uh, yeah, I love it. And again, I don't think they do a good job of criticizing nihilism in this film. I think they just dunk on the concept of nihilism itself, not any yeah. aspects of it specifically. They're just like, hey, nihilism is dumb. And you can define nihilism as not caring about anything or believing in nothing. That's literally what it is. Um, okay, next quote. Plus, you have to take the good with the bad. New technology permits us to do very exciting things in interactive erotic software. Wave of the future, dude. 100% electronic. Hmm. Well, I still jerk off manually. <laughs> Which it, I think is a funny line because this whole time <laughs> the dude is undercutting this like prominent pornographer's like vision for you know the future of sexuality and the dude is all old-fashioned you know like he's he's content with what we the current system that we're yeah. working on which that's as much as I got out of the pornography uh, inclusion in this film outside of it just being provocative obviously this movie loves the the sexual uh, parts of it and kind of celebrating like the excitement of sex but it's at the same time I think it's maybe just commenting on pornography and being like hey what have we got here like isn't this where is this going yeah I don't know like it's definitely it's definitely not shown as a negative thing. Jackie Treehorn seems like a pretty reasonable dude, except for when he doodles that weird doodle on his um <laughs> on his notepad. Well, wouldn't like, you do that if that's a scribble for you if you're like a world famous pornographer? Because he was trying to pretend that he was writing down something important, and that's why he had to leave the room. Oh, but he was doing so, well, get, so oh, but he was really leaving to get the the drug to, to oh, drug okay. the dude. That, I didn't follow that at all. I was like what is happening? This movie just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. He was trying to make an excuse to leave and he just had to write something. So he wrote, you know, maybe his signature. Maybe that's what that is. Who knows? Maybe that's just the the first thing. When I go to doodle, a lot of times I'll draw a little smiley face. I have like kind of a style I've done ever since like, L4, like yeah. fourth grade. And maybe for him, like uh, like when his mind is blank, it defaults to drawing like a big old schlong. And uh, <laughs> that's just what it is. You know, he's, uh, that's his, uh, his occupation. Um, that's true so I, I, yeah yeah live and breathe it live and breathe it right well because he also separates himself from like the generic pornographer because he talks about how he wishes that the te technology wasn't advancing because he used to put like story into his stuff and right. you know try to create more of an art as opposed to just something the most stimulating pornography and uh so at least you have the benefit of the doubt and be like, well, he would be doing something. I mean, the the whole throwing the woman up on the trampoline, that's uh, that's not just straight up pornography necessarily. You know, there's something more to it there. Sure. Her shirt is off, obviously, but it's also not just sex. So it, I don't know. It's just porn in the movie. Maybe that's interesting yeah, it enough. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One last quote. Thanks, Gary. Well, take care, man. Gotta get back. Sure. Take it easy, dude. Oh, yeah. I know that you will. 
Yeah, well, the dude abides. I love this. This is such a good. I don't actually really know what the dude abides means, like literally, but it. I I love the feeling that comes along with it. Like it's just kind of the dude after all this. He's just going right back to chilling, and uh, and, and you know at least somebody's out there taking it easy, while the rest of us stress about things that we deem important. Uh, somebody's out there kicking back with a couple of Miller High Lifes at the bowling alley, getting ready for the tournament next week. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I say that all the time. The dude abides. But again, like, I mean, I just looked it up. It's to accept or act in accordance with, right? So I would say I abide by their decision as an example of how you'd use that in a sentence. Thank you, dictionary.com. Well, sure, and I guess the dude abides eternally. He constantly just deals with it. Yeah, he just yeah. accepts it. So there you have it, the dude. Um, <laughs> those are all our quotes from the movie. Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper. Okay, so one of the things I came across looking up um, things about this movie uh, was this whole idea of the dude and Walter and even Donnie symbolizing certain aspects of like American culture. Um, specifically, Walter as a neocon, which is short for neoconservative. And actually, if I'm looking up, like I found this um, great article from Slate.com written by David Hagland. Um, and he talks, he goes into depth about why Walter is a neocon. And looking up the definition, at least on Wikipedia, you can see that he's actually exactly right. It's actually kind of amazing. Historically speaking, the term neoconservative refers to those who made the ideolo ideological journey from the anti-Stalinist left to the camp of American conservatism during the 1960s and 1970s. The movement had its intellectual roots in the Jewish Monthly Review magazine commentary um, and it was, was published by the American Jewish Committee. They spoke out against the new left and that way helped define the movement. You may notice that in that one short aspect from um, Wikipedia that hits on many of the things that um, Walter references, including knowledge about Lenin, right? He knows his first name and he knows his policies. Um, he is Jewish, practicing Jewish anyway. Um, and he, <laughs> uh, like the neoconservative movement had its roots in Jewish communities. Um, and of course, his uh, involvement in the war um, was also a big part of this thing. Um, and actually, they actually, uh, new conservatives had played a big role in um, the 2000s with George W. Bush um, and the whole invasion of Iraq, which is uh, referenced several times in this movie, including during one of the dream sequences when Saddam Hussein gives uh, the dude his bowling shoes. Yeah, I don't know what the, I don't know, I think that, that was tying in the, the political background that was happening in this movie um, in, a, in a kind of a strange way. Because the dude is supposed to represent like this hippie left, right? He he was um, making these kind of moves and while he was a younger man toward anti-war sentiments, you know, writing these uh, treatises and and then um, being part of that movement, the Seattle Seven or whatever, right? Ideologically, Walter and the dude disagree like very much. You know, they they kind of come, they're kind of in the same place, and of course, they're very good friends and they've known each other for a long time, but almost on a very deep level, they disagree on about how they do to go about anything. Walter is very reactionary. Um, he's very prone to violence, whereas the dude kind of, you know, he just abides. He just lets things go. He kind of moves forward through life without, you know, trying to make too much of a mess. Um, well, the dude also in, endorses pacifism while, while Walter is, if it's even possible, he's like 
anti-pacifist. Yeah, well, he he said, I dabbled in pacifism for a brief time, which is another aspect that neo neocons um, actually had, too, was that they were they used to be pacifists or that they at least like had knowledge of pacifists because they used to be far left and then they migrated far right um, during the Vietnam like war and all that. Um, and then, of course, I saw this other article from culturedamage.com where that pitched that Donnie is the silent majority and that Walter and the dude are constantly are, are like the extremes of the left and right. And they're constantly overshouting Donnie and telling him to shut up. And they never listen to what the center has to say. They only ever listen to what the other side has to say, which I don't know if I totally agree with. Maybe that's a little bit too much, but it's an interesting aspect for at least to say that Donnie Donnie's points never get made or that he doesn't even have any points. Um, and the people that are dominating the situation are the people on the extremes. Well, yeah, if Donnie is the silent majority, then he, the silent majority is not really paying that close attention. Because... I, well, I think that's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if that's, if that's a commentary they're making, then they definitely got that across because he can never keep track of what's going on. And also, Walter's always telling him to shut up. He's always yes. like, you're way out of your league. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a child who walked into the middle of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so some of the other things I saw at like that was, I want to say projecting, but like were attributing to this movie was the dude as Jesus Christ. This one I did not find very convincing, um, but they were like based on the way he dresses and the people he hangs out with and everything. He kind of is emblematic of a Jesus Christ, but I don't know. I, I don't really I agree don't with see that. It. And then like, and, and in fact, like, the dude, dude's philosophy more closely resembles Zen Buddhism, which explicitly rejects the idea of God. So, I don't know. I don't think those necessarily work together in a way. Um, and I mean, we'll talk more about the Tao of the dude in a minute. But um, the dude as Jesus Christ is, is an interesting theory that I don't feel like holds up very well. I mean, beyond the robes, I start yeah. to lose it. One other, one other thing, which I thought was kind of interesting, was this just came from the AV Club, um, was the dude as a Noor uh, protagonist. So normally in these Noor like films, you know, from the what was it, the forties, I guess, they uh, the main protagonist is a private eye who's down on his luck, um, and he gets through. So there's all these like aspects of it that are always in there: femme, femme fatale, some necessary injury, um, his like dark past that kind of comes to light slowly through the story. All of that. The dude kind of fits into that role, sort of, but subverts it in kind of a clever way. You know, he's taught—he's constantly talking about how he's on the case. Um, and then there's the PI who shows up and admires his work, like implying that he is some sort of private investigator. Um, he never really sustains any sort of major injury. But of course, um, Maude sort of represents a femme fatale, the way she talks, the way she acts, and her being kind of the puppet master behind the whole thing definitely it like lends herself to that aspect of it so the as a like you could look at the big lebowski as a nor like subversion masterpiece in kind of an interesting way too which i think is cool to say the least oh yeah he's definitely trying to piece the crime together but yep. for me the whole oh he, he could be mistaken as a private eye is just another you know part Red of the herring. complexity yes another yeah part of the ridiculously uh complex plot that is just too hard to keep track of um like the fact that they brought in a private investigator who's like i would love to share information with you and <laughs> yeah. you share with me like because it turns out what, bunny like <laughs> is an escaped child from minnesota is she a child 
Were we she's sexualizing like, a teenager there at the beginning of the movie so. when she was trying like, to get her feet blown on? I don't. I think she's just older. I think she's like her her. Uh, eight, so like she's 18. been missing for years. She's missing for a year. I think they think they said one year. Okay. Because yeah, that part I definitely didn't catch on the first watch through, and then I was watching this. I was like, wait a minute. Huh? <laughs> I don't know. And, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> let's get into what did you say? The Tao of the Dude. The Tao of the Dude. The Tao of the Dude. Yes. Um. Yeah. Dudeism, which is actually it's like a pseudo religion that people and actually take pretty seriously, and it's all based on the basically the way that the dude lives his life in the big lebowski uh it's called the church of the latter day dude and uh <laughs> it was formed or is like created by oliver benjamin in 2005 who another was this great guy, benjamin another great benjamin yeah one of the legendary benjamins uh when he saw the movie and he was like in china for something and like i guess he was studying taoism but okay. it's basically like a mix of certain things from Dao- Chinese Taoism and some ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus. Does that sound familiar yes, to you? Yes, that's right. Uh, but mostly Taoism. That's how you pronounce it, right? Like a D? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm not super familiar with it, but this, according to the internet, <laughs> it's very <laughs> much based on that. And they have, um, like, the guy who created it, Oliver Benjamin, is known as the Doodly Lama, uh, like, based on, like, the Dalai Lama. And you can become ordained as a Dudist priest, uh, which is, like, really easy to do online. You just, like, fill out something and you become a Dudist priest. But you, and you, but you, like, <laughs> swear an oath to, like, take it easy, man, and, uh, like, to spread the word. <laughs> to other people which is great and the guy i watched a video from oliver benjamin where he basically explains that at a base level it's about just taking it easy man just controlling the way that you react to reality controlling how you feel about your life to promote you know positive uh feeling a positive perception of however you're living your life which i think is really cool it's optimistic and for some people, maybe that's the answer for them. As silly as it is, they could find it in this movie, and it could. And it, apparently, it has hundreds of thousands of followers. There are hundreds of thousands, or at one point at least, there are hundreds of thousands. There are dozens of, of us. Yes, of dudists across the world, uh, and they talk <laughs> about. Um, well, because he also another way that Oliver Benjamin puts it in that video is he says, "Think of your mind like a radio, and instead of trying to find the signal, you're searching for the static." He's talking that's about meditation. Kind of, or just talking about I, how you live your whole life? I could be both. Um, I, you could take it or leave it. For me, Dudism is a temporary state of mind. For me, Dudism, I think, is a calming way to perceive when things aren't going perfectly or even when they're not going amazingly, but you feel like they should. Like if like a FOMO would be an interesting time mm. to, you know, practice a little bit of Dudism because even though some, you know, you might be missing All out on something. All your friends are going bowling. All your friends are going bowling and you're, you know, somewhere else. You can just, you know, choose to feel happy about your life in that situation and just, you know, take it easy, man, wherever you end up being. Um, and I love the way they talk about how it, it, the religion doesn't spread very quickly because evangelizing isn't a very doodly thing to do. <laughs> so the priests are all like lazy and don't really try to convert people all that much, uh, which keeps the religion from growing like mo- like a traditional hmm. uh, large scale religion, which I, I think is very funny. It makes me very comfortable with the idea of this new invented religion. Sure. 
So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll include that video in the, it's like a six minute video. It's pretty, it's, it's like a nightly news thing. Um, and I, but I thought it was super interesting and it's one of the lasting effects of this film because for me, it was definitely the most impactful idea that came out of this movie was the way that the dude lives his life. Sure. You, Cause again, like we said, like the plot is very complicated and contrived. There are things that happen that may or may not matter, but through it all, the dude remains a bit just a dude and i and i love it yeah okay Okay. are we ready to present our ratings to this movie i'm ready are you ready i'm ready why don't you go first i give this movie one giant pair of scissors nice is there a russian holding it in a jumpsuit running after me excuse me sorry nihilists Yeah, they don't care what what race they are. <laughs> they don't care what kind of utensil you use. Snip, snip. That's right. Um, very nice, very nice. Giant pair of scissors. I give this movie a ringer full of dirty underwear, <laughs> the, the white, um, and a strong white Russian to go along with it as kind of like a celebratory drink. Okay. So that is the Big Lebowski. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Uh, I think too. it's a great movie. I'm, I, I think it lived up to the to the hype. I think at least it was worth seeing and worth knowing about, worth discussing. Um, okay. Because it's, it's definitely a cult hit. Okay. It definitely is. No, it's, yeah. <laughs> you didn't think so? It definitely is a cult hit. I don't know. I think I think people put a lot of emphasis on this movie. I think, like, the dudeism, like, cult and everything is way over the top, honestly. Because I don't think this movie, like, maybe it deserves its cult status, but I don't know if it deserves its greatness status. I don't know if the dude as a character is really that revolutionary in his own way. You know, he's just kind of a normal like hippie guy that I don't feel like I relate to or can, or have like, I don't want to say the courage. I, I don't have the um, desire to emulate him in any way. So Yeah. Well, I, I, again, for me, I think it's going to be a conditional dudism, but I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to maybe put this one in the toolbox, you know, and use it to uh, deal with whatever life throws my way in the future. All right. Let me know if that, how that works out. I'll, yeah, I'll give you dudism updates should they uh, appear. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to do it for this one. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next movie we're doing is Minority Report. Which I'm so excited to do. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? Yes. Okay, you've seen it's it. It's on TV a lot. I haven't seen it, but I reference it all the time. I'm Mexican, and there are times where in school or at work, I would find myself in a group, like in a large group that is mostly Caucasian. I sometimes would find myself in a group with some of the other minorities, and I would always be like, hey, what is this, the minority report? And everyone would be like, ha, 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 because no one's seen this movie, and no one knows <laughs> that it's not about minorities. <laughs> It is a great joke. Well, and actually, maybe people have seen it. They just don't correct me because they're like, oh, is it racist if I tell them this isn't the Minority Report? (laughs) Anyways, that's the movie we're doing next. I'm super excited to talk about it. This is a short week for us, so we're going to be hustling to get this one out. I was in D.C. uh, over the weekend, and so now we're recording this on a Tuesday, which is kind of late for us. Uh, But we have some exciting news that developed over the weekend, right, Joey? Tell them about it. So we set up a voicemail uh, that anyone can call and leave us a recorded message, and we might play it on the air. 
Um, you can do this like if you just want to say hi or if you think we missed something about a movie, it could be this one or any other one, just give us a call and uh, we'll listen to it and maybe play it on the air. It's going to be a, a great time. The number is 833-600-CHAT. Uh, that number is 833-600-2428. That's right. Call us right now. 833-600-2428. That's 833-600-CHAT. Call now. It. And you can, <laughs> yeah, and you can leave us whatever you want. You can, you know, criticize us. You can compliment us. You can uh, say a different compliment about us. If you've ever wanted to be on the podcast, you know, this is your chance to have your voice heard. Exactly. All you need is a cell phone. And um, we would love to hear from you and probably play it on the episode, uh, on, on a episode. Just, yeah. If you do something ridiculous that obviously we can't play, we're not going to play it, but I think the bar is going to be pretty low, at least here in the That's beginning. Right. So if you're even considering it at this point, just dial that number. What was it again, Joey? 833-600-CHAT. That's 833-600-2428. Okay. That's so easy to remember too. 600-CHAT. Wow. I, yeah. I'm, I picked that out purposely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's genius. And I commend you for that big time. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, that's going to basically do it for this episode. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else. Five stars, baby. It's very helpful. Um, that helps us to get exposure and uh, find more listeners. And so yeah, if you want to support us and you want to do your your guys at Apple Chat a favor, leave us that review. Uh, if you want to send us a message, you don't want to call us, you can always tweet at us at Affable Chat. Or send us an email, applechat at gmail.com. We are still taking requests. That's right. We can also check us out on uh, YouTube. We just released a video not too long ago about um, Supersonic and Oklahoma City. That's right. We're making videos somewhat frequently. Uh, it's a lot more work than making a podcast, but we, we are worth subscribing and smashing that uh, notification bell so you can know when the next Apple Chat video is coming out. But yeah, that's going to do it for us. So... Um, for Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at Affable Chat, or our email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.